initially I didn't want to go into art. I thought I was like worried that it was not going to be the right path for me, you know, like coming from a very traditional background. Like I know in a lot of other traditions, it's very similar. I didn't want to go into art right away, but I decided to do it and I'm so happy that I did. Welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising black, indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Raymond Dozalanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Janet Rodriguez. She is a Mexican-American artist working as a freelancer from the Los Angeles area. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Hi, yes. Thank you for having me. So yes, my name is Janet Rodriguez, and I'm from Orange County. Grew up in Orange County. I'm a recent graduate of California State University Fullerton. I graduated in 2019 um, with my degree in illustration, and I'm a, currently a freelance character designer and illustrator in the Orange County area. So the way we like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices, and then you have to choose in between the two of them, and then let us know why. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> awesome. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start us off with the first question. If you were any kind of royal monarch, who would you rather trust as your royal advisor? Jafar from Aladdin or Yzma from the Emperor's New Groove? Oh my god, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to trust someone, oh, those are the worst. I would say Yzma. Just because okay. she's so she's so funny. I think I think she's <laughs> someone who, if you partnered up partnered up with her, she would actually uh-huh. like be a pretty cool. You could you could trust her, and then eventually she'd give you some potion and then turn you into something. But probably Isma. <laughs> <laughs> she's amazing. Yeah, I think between the two, Isma is probably the safer choice because yeah. I think Jafar. Has always been planning to like off you. Yeah. Isma yeah. only became a threat once she got fired. So exactly. So that's that's the thing. I mean, she was always like had her secret lab or whatever. True, but again, again, Cusco knew about the secret lab. So I, w- I would assuming somebody as dumb as Cusco, <laughs> if he knew about it, you would know about it too. So it's more like when you're a parent and you know your kid's sneaking out and they think they're being slick about it, but like I know what you're doing. Just just be, just be home safe. <laughs> I forgot about some of those details from the movie. I gotta rewatch it. Oh my god! <laughs> Plus, like with I guess with Yzma, you also get the hulking Kronk as some eye candy. Squirrel, squirrel, Kronk. squirrel, squirrel. Yeah. Wait, that's what they said at the end, right? It was squirrel. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Squeaking, squeaking, squeaking. Oh, squeaking! Yeah. Oh my god! Squeaking, squeaking, yeah, they were squeaking squirrel. Yeah, that's really cute. <laughs> All right. Last question: Would you rather? be adopted by Bruce Wayne into the Bat family or attend Professor Xavier's school of gifted youngsters where your homeroom teacher is Wolverine? Oh my God. To be an X-Men would be incredible. <laughs> that would, I would hundred percent. Yes. Second choice. Um, X-Men is amazing. Oh my God. My favorite growing up was Rogue. So definitely I'd want to be in the classroom. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. Aww. Which X-Men series? Is the original or the evolution one? Uh, I, I watched both, but the evolution one was like amazing too. I really, really liked the designs on it. Yeah, I like the mm. evolution. Right? Mm-hmm. It's so funny. Like a few years ago at CTN, the character designer was at 
had a table and I didn't realize it and I woke, walked up to his table and it was like like I felt like I was fangirling so hard it was amazing <laughs> to see him I don't remember his name but those oh. guys are so so cool ah <sighs> Yeah. No, yeah, I liked yeah. it. I liked it. And I like the characters that they also introduced. Like I love Spike. Like he was fun. Yeah. Rogue was cool. Yeah, uh, me too. Yeah. yeah. Kitty. The only thing I didn't like, and this is just me, was um everything else on the show is great. I just it always bugged me that Wolverine was orange and not yellow. <laughs> oh, you're right. I'm surprised like as a kid you were like, that's not that's not classic Wolverine. <laughs> Dude, yeah, that's the only thing. I loved everything about the show, but that's the only thing that bothered me. Is like, why is Wolverine orange? He's meant to be yellow. <laughs> I never noticed that. That's so funny. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. true, yeah. Yeah. I think that might have been my first one. I don't know if I watched the original. I think I only watched Evolution. Or I only caught the tail end of the original. Yeah, the originals yeah. were still really, really cool to see. I, I still remember... Oh my god! Uh, what was her Phoenix when like Phoenix had her her meltdown uh, and it was Jean like too long. Jean, Jean Grey, yeah, and it was like two long episodes, and that was like so freaking epic. Yeah. yeah. Oh heck yeah. yeah! I think she was only ever Jean Grey in that series, but yeah, like the Phoenix art. Yeah. Yeah. I think Nightcrawler was my favorite. I just thought he was cute. <laughs> he was in the in the evolution one. Yeah. He yeah. was really cute. He's, he's yeah. like kind of shy, and he's like, oh, I'm blue mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, yeah. I love that. <laughs> I don't know if it's just you guys, but I feel like Nightcrawler in the Evolution series always gave me like Fez vibes. I thought that was cute. Yeah. <laughs> Fez, Fez from that 70s show. That's, I don't know if anybody else thought that, but I always thought he gave me Fez vibes. It's like kind of like nerdy. Yeah. And like, I think the hair too, like physically too, like the shape of the face. That's so funny. That's true. Mm-hmm. Especially because <laughs> he had an accent. So he kind of had like that foreign student kind of feel. He was, yeah, he was yeah. like the foreign kid. <laughs> yeah. That sounds so bad. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for playing in between with us. Hopefully you had some fun there. I had tons of fun. And I learned some things. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And if you enjoyed today's in-between questions, let us know your responses. Or if you have any suggestions for future in-between questions, contact us on social media. So to kind of segue, we are so happy to have Janet Rodriguez on our podcast and to spotlight her for Hispanic Heritage Month. Excited to hear more of your story and to learn more about you. So was working as a character designer for Glow in the Dark Concept Studios like your first industry opportunity out of school? Yes. Glow in the Dark was an amazing small studio in Burbank. And jumping out of school, I was able to freelance for them for quite a while, actually. And... Mm. The freelance work that I got to do for them was super, just like really fun, right up like the aesthetics that I really like to do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the studio, like I said, is small. And so I got to work very personally with, um, with Katia, that they worked with this name. And she really took me under her wing, I feel, and just really helped me to understand what it's like, what it means to like make a character for a TV show. It was for a pre- mm. the, the work we were doing for a preschool show. And she was always so kind and helped me, like referred me to people's work that I should be looking at to sort of understand what they're looking for in TV and like what makes a really good character design. Mm-hmm. She was so kind. And I had also interned with them during my school year that previous semester. So I was already like very comfortable with them as a team. And I was just super grateful to be able to learn from them to have such a safe environment, you know? I really felt like I could ask questions of like, oh, how do you like do a turn? Like, what does this mean? Like, I don't understand. And and she was so <laughs> kind and just really helped me to understand. It was, it was a really, really great first experience. 
I felt very safe. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to yeah. hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So for you, because I know I noticed, also noticed that you also interned with them prior. So how was that kind of transition from for you from being a production intern at Glow in the Dark and then kind of transitioning into an art role at the same studio? Yeah, so transitioning with them was really, really easy. Like I said, like they made me feel so comfortable. And because I already knew Pepia pretty well when it came to working under her with for character designs, I really felt like I could speak up and say like what I felt about something instead of just following like a direction that someone was telling me to go. It, mm-hmm. it felt really collaborative, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Yeah, I'm just super grateful that I got to intern with them. The work that we created together, all the character designs for the story that we were working on, is something that still influences the work that I do now. I still think, go mm-hmm. back, and I think about the way that um, she was making the family like work together and the colors and the shape. So I, I learned so much, and I still use uh, everything that I learned with her. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Was like the material that she gave you to kind of get into the style of the show, such as like existing material of like other shows, or was it like books or something that she recommended to you? Oh, that's funny. That's funny you asked that because actually I did look at a lot of European comics and graphic novels. Oh. Yeah, her aesthetic was definitely more European. She's from Spain. So mm. she came from seeing like a different side to animation and like I really valued that and how she was able to like implement that into her work and her ideas. So even though it was for a preschool show, it had a different vibe. It was a little bit darker and had a, some more intricacies in there that just made the show like super interesting. It was, it was super cute. I loved it so much. Just kind of to go right off of that, if you were to kind of give somebody else the same advice, then you would like introduce your own interests, I guess, and not necessarily like a one-to-one of what she had given. It was like she brought to the table her own tastes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She really brought her personality and her identity and like the things that she loved growing up, like she implemented that into her work. And that's something that Mm. initially I didn't quite realize until now. The things that you loved as a kid are a big signifier of what you you should still be making. Like bring it back. There's a reason why you loved it. And there's probably a reason why other people love it too. And other people could connect with it a lot. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. And another thing I kind of want to get into is that how did you feel you were able to kind of stand out when you were applying for the internship at Will in the Dark? What do you think made you stand out to them? I never had an internship before that and I was super grateful that they picked me. And when I talked to them about like what they felt was different about my application was that they said that I understood kids because I actually grew oh. up. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I, so that was like my background coming into play. My mom and my dad have a home daycare. So I grew up, uh-huh. yeah, so for like half of my life I grew up in a daycare technically because my house is a daycare. So <laughs> being around all those kids and like seeing like what they watched on TV too was like super influenced what I wanted to do too. And mm. the kids the kids are really, really cute. So they would do like so many funny things and I would like add that into my sketches. And we we had a lot of books too. So I got to be around a lot of children's books. And that's something that, like, in the future, I'd like to go into. So, mm. specifically for the internship, the fact that I grew up around kids and I understood ch- children was a really big bonus for them. So, it was really cool to be able to implement that, yeah. That's awesome. And, yeah, that totally makes sense if you're going to be, like, working on a, on a preschool show or a kid's show. Having yeah. somebody that's around kids all the time is like, okay, this person's going to be an asset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she said it was because it helps with like the acting of the characters. You really understand mm-hmm. like the kids dynamics and like mm-hmm. brothers and sisters and 
It really helped. It was awesome. Oh, that's mm-hmm. great. Since then, you have freelanced for a variety of different studios, such as Warner Brothers, Osmo Games, and Netflix. What is something that you have learned as a freelancer from these different studios? So I would say that everything that I've done for those studios has been pretty different. Like it's all just mm. a variety of things. The biggest thing that I've learned, I would say is a few things, but like one of the biggest things is like just understanding that they're hiring you because they like your work. And mm. it's always like super intimidating. You think like, oh my God, they want to see what I can do with this or whatever. And I always feel like the imposter syndrome like hits so hard. And I think like, mm. oh, I'm not good mm-hmm. enough or what I'm turning in is like not going to be what they want. But looking back every time I finish a project, I think like, no, like what I was doing was good and I should be proud to share it. And yeah, just making sure that I understand or making sure whoever, if you're being hired, they're hiring you for you. And so your voice and the work that you're making is good. Just do your best. And that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. It's always so nerve wracking. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's very true, especially when it comes to like the world of freelancing, because oftentimes when you do get kind of get hired a full-time job, there's a bit more of an interview process in a sense to see like, oh, is this person a good fit? How do we like their personality? When it comes to freelance, it's mainly like this person has good work. This person has professional looking work. Let's just bring them on, pay them, have them to do a thing because we need this. We need extra set of hands or we need extra help for this thing. Yeah, exactly. I guess to kind of get into that more, let's talk more about what you're doing now. If I'm not mistaken, you're currently freelancing at Netflix Animation as a character designer. Is that correct? Yeah. What does your typical week to week look like? My typical week right now with the Netflix is pretty relaxed. The work I'm doing right now is very like Sky character design, which is like the most exciting. Mm. So mm. <laughs> I can dictate my schedule pretty to, to whatever I, I want to do. I realized as a freelancer that I really don't like working early, early in the morning. I prefer mm. <laughs> to take my time waking up, like eating breakfast, cleaning up, all that stuff, getting like any emails or like things like that done and then I don't Mm -hmm. start designing really until like after lunch that's Mm -hmm. like my favorite time I feel like I'm the most awake so I start designing when I get the script or if I already have like ideas done from the day before and I work until about eight usually and then and, you know, breaks in between. and then I kind of do that again the next day. It's It just depends too, like depends on what time of the process of the characters I process I'm in. Um, I like to take like a day or two to really think and like do research and just write a bunch of stuff. And mm. I don't start drawing until like the third day. And I usually start drawing on paper before I start like painting digitally or, or anything like that. Wow. Mm-hmm. It depends on like what kind of product it is. But right now that's currently what I'm doing is starting like after lunch. And it's so nice to be able to start a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the beauty of freelance. You get to, to my knowledge, all they care about is like, you just tell them at the end of the week how many hours you worked and then that's how they bill you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's been, if I had to wake up early, I could definitely do it. Um, but right now it's, that's been like the most comfortable for me. Mm. That's great. And then something I, I want to ask further into that is that, in early development, like you said, Blue Sky Phase is like, you know, taking the first stab at these characters. How has that been like exploring these designs before there's like a set look and exploring the way it could look? Yeah. Well, this is the first picture that I've been able to work on, which is really exciting and also very scary mm. because I'm realizing like, oh my, okay, all these ideas that I have, 
maybe they're probably not going to go through, or I don't know, maybe, maybe like a little bit, they'll influence something. But working directly with the director has been really, really amazing, and he's made me feel very comfortable. And he's made my ideas feel like super valuable. Like, uh, I really feel like every week that we've been working on stuff, we've been like stacking the ideas, stacking the characters, and making it feel like mm-hmm. all like really cohesive, like it's all worth it. Working with the director has been the most comforting because he's really led me down the path of like designing a character after character and really stacking them and making them feel cohesive mm. and like they work together. So knowing that like the characters might not be like that at the very end has, has felt okay because I know that it's all kind of leading and like just helping to create the ideas and the feeling of the film. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's really exciting to know that like maybe like a little bit will end up in the final movie. It's so early on, you know, like I, I know I shouldn't expect to see a character like super finalized of mine, like in the movie, but it would be amazing. It would be so freaking cool. Yeah. I don't know if you talked about Blue Sky on this podcast very much before, but the Blue Sky phase is not the studio. It's like a term (laughs) referring to the phase of development of pre-production where like skies are blue, everything's clear, like there's no limitations. We're just figuring out, like feeling out. Uh, And that's why it's it's called that. There's not it's not a a set in stone style of everything yet. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool that you got to to work on that at Netflix. Yeah, it's really exciting. It's a really cool project and it's great to be able to play. Like, that's what it is. It's just playing a lot. It's awesome. Yeah. Do you prefer that over like an established uh, uh, character design? Yes. Like right now, I'm doing some feelings for Warner Brothers and it's more technical. And Mm. the difference between those are like the feelings I get, like with with the technical stuff. I'm like, okay. I, I know what I have to do and I know about how long it will take me. And it's kind of like mentally relaxing. Whereas with the more blue sky stuff, it's like your mind is just constantly thinking of ideas and you're always like, even when you're not really like, like necessarily working, you're still looking at things and trying to, you know, just like sort out the puzzle in your head. So it's uh, one of them is more mentally, like takes up more mental time than the other. But I definitely prefer the blue sky just because it's really fun. Mm. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting phase of the pipeline that not everybody gets to kind of work on. Like the whole blue sky phase is it's like a brainstorming session. Ideas are just being thrown, seeing what the potential of the project could be, seeing how far they can push designs, what's realistic, what's not realistic. Yeah. And it's basically almost like majority of stuff that happens in the blue sky phase is what ends up going in an art book, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's all the fun stuff. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It's the stuff that we all like want to see when we open up the art books. Mm. No, very, very true. So another thing you've also worked on and have done is you were kind of coloring flats for Bill Robinson's little golden book. How was that experience? And can you talk a little bit more about what that is for people that might not know? Yeah, so working with with Bill was really random. <laughs> it was um, <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter. He put out like like a general calling for anyone who could help with color flatting. And I had never done that before, and I was looking to do, like, freelance or just connect with people. So I responded back, and I think he liked my work or trusted my my skills enough to work with me on doing the color flatting for his book. And it was really fun. Color flatting is relatively simple, I would say, but you still have to have, like, an understanding of, like, depth. Like, for example, like, if you're doing, like, a background or something, and the nuances of, like, a character's shape, like, their fingers and stuff. But I learned so much about layout in children's books and like what 
an illustrator actually does when they're illustrating a full book with full page illustrations and like spot illustrations and like the general timeline mm. that you have when you when you illustrate the book. Yeah, and his his illustrations are so charming. So to be able to work under him and see his his sketches, like his rough sketches. And like what the next jumping off phase was for that was really, really cool. Mm -hmm. Ideally, I would love to be able to work on a children's book in the future. So it was a really fun experience. And I hope I can do that again. Yeah. Can you also explain a little bit more for those that may not know, like the process of what is color flatting? Oh, yeah. Color flatting is basically the step after you've done like a final sketch of a scene or a character. You lay down shapes of color that are flat, <laughs> uh, just uh, <laughs> uh, shapes of color over the characters so you could see their silhouette. And that helps to start painting the character. So it, it goes by a lot faster than necessarily painting the details with like a single brush. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it makes things go faster and it's a, a lot cleaner look. It can be a cleaner look. And I think it's used a lot more in comics or graphic novels. Mm -hmm. But you can do it, like I said, like an illustration for illustrated books also to just help the process go by faster. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Also, for those that may not know, color flatting is also, I would say, a little bit more of a tedious task in a sense because it mm -hmm. allows the main artist or the person that's putting down the lighting, creating the shadows to have whatever final texture, the final look or the final to give the flats more depth. It frees them up more to kind of focus on that aspect of the comic or the graphic novel or the children's book and having someone else to flat just helps them focus on more of the final look than uh, blocking everything out essentially. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. exactly. Mm -hmm. So uh, something else I also want to get into, you mentioned it uh, earlier on in your introduction that you study at California State University of Fullerton on the illustrative side, correct? Yeah, I did. Yes. How did you feel your education there prepared you for like life after college? So Cal State Fullerton is in Orange County for those who don't know. And it's an amazing, uh, it has an amazing art department, honestly, mostly because of the way that the teachers teach. Like they're super passionate there. And the students that go there know that and are also really passionate in what they do. The reason, the big reason why I went there was because of the students, was because of the Pencil Mileage Club. Um, it's the, mm. the animation mm -hmm. club on campus. I knew, like previously, before transferring in, I had met a few people that went to the school and that were in the club. And I got to attend a few of the lectures that they hosted every Friday, every so, every couple of weeks. And they would invite artists in the industry, in animation and illustration too, really. Just in, in general, like industry professionals. They would invite people. And so I was able to attend a few of the sessions and I just really wanted to be a part of it. I knew that like talking to people more was more important than like necessarily just going to like a top, top school, which mm. I couldn't afford to. So, which is why I never even, I honestly never even applied. <laughs> I just knew like Fullerton was like closest to home. It was like such a great place to be. The people were amazing. So I, I don't know, I was able to go. I felt really lucky. But yeah, it, mm. I think um, they, they have a really good balance there at of like fine arts and classic traditional teaching and also keeping up with like what's currently happening. Like there's a lot of storyboarding classes and there's character design class and 
there's teachers that work in the industry that teach them currently. So they're very in tune with what's going on. The teachers are very active with helping the students like get to where they want to go with their personal goals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm I'm very grateful that I was able to go. It was like the perfect place for me and, and I love everyone there. Like all the when I was a part of PNC, I was an advertiser. And that's where I've met like some of the best people that I still talk to now. It's mm-hmm. an amazing school. If you're if you have a choice, um, I would go to Cal State Fullerton. <laughs> No, yeah, no, very, very much true. Cal State Fullerton is such a good school and it's good, like, yeah. alternative because, like, I think something that we try to also make it known on this podcast is because Yuki and I also went to a state school. We both went to San Jose State. Ooh, and oftentimes, yeah. when, yeah, <laughs> Ooh, state schools, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but oftentimes, when high schoolers are like, you know, they realize that they want to pursue animation as a career and they're looking at schools, the, the ones that tend to pop up is like CalArts, yeah. Art Center ringling and you know those and those are good schools those are like good SCAD. art schools scad yeah. scad as well we had plenty of amazing scad alumni on this podcast yeah but oftentimes financially that's not a viable option and so a yeah. lot of people think that they can't pursue animation as a career because they're not going to college or scad or ringling and we try to make it known that there's many different avenues to get into the industries like so many people we've known either didn't come with animation background or didn't go to CalArts or didn't go to this school, whatever, but there's many different pathways to enter. And if you want to get an education and you don't feel comfortable taking like online workshop courses, which also is a viable option as well, going to a state school like San Jose, Fullerton, Long Beach, it's such a more cost-effective alternative where you're able to hopefully get financial aid and like still learn about the industry and like learn like the fundamentals of animation and whatnot. And again, yeah. Fullerton's like a great school. I hear nothing but good, good things from like the Fullerton's program. Like my episodic director currently that I work under is a Fullerton alumni as well. No way. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. We're everywhere. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that was a really good attitude for you to go into the program with where you were saying, I just want to meet a bunch of people and yeah. like make connections. And mm-hmm. that's a big part of like going to a school where they are plugged into some kind of network and then you get into the network as yeah. well. So. I think you really made it work for you. I did, yeah. And the best part of Fullerton were the people Mm -hmm. and the students. Like, there's just so much passion and kindness at the school. I I never felt like anyone was, I didn't feel like this weird competitiveness on campus. It was, everyone was just there to like work and be friends and just like love animation. No, that's great. Again, my closest and best friends are all the ones that I met in college. Yeah, yeah. I made such amazing connections. And I think a previous guest of ours, Abel Hayford, made a really good point where they said, they tell this to their college friends that you're the most expensive friends I have because they made, <laughs> the, they made the investment on college and that's where they met all of their friends. So yeah. they're the most expensive investment that they have made. <laughs> that's so funny. I never thought about it like that. <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. If, you, if, yeah. if you're going to get anything from school, realize that the connection you're making, that's an investment. And they're very much worth it. And you meet such amazing people. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. So you went to like Fullerton for illustration, like advertisement illustration? Oh, no, it was more for like fine arts illustration, I guess. So it was a really well-rounded program for like, where you got to learn like actual techniques of rendering and then also learning about children's books. And then you could take some extra classes. I took a character design class and then like animal drawing. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like a general track. And then um, mm-hmm. there was a class where you could pick a project and you work on that project for that semester. And I did that for two years. And that's where I built oh. some more portfolio pieces. And that one was more like 
at your pace, I would say. There were just certain deadlines that you had to hit in the semester where you had mm-hmm. to submit like your progress. But that, that self-paced class was really helpful, like sort of already establishing like how I like to work. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was really, really helpful to have that kind of a class. Okay, so you, yeah, you went the more illustrative route. Like I know Fullerton has its own animation program. You did the illustrative route, but you were still able to be involved with the animation club. It's good yeah. that you got yourself involved with the animation club as well. Yeah, because initially I knew that I wanted to go into animation, but I still loved illustration. Like illustration is where I want to always have a dabble in. Like I always want to be doing something illustrative, whether it's professionally or for myself. Mm-hmm. And but character design is where like I really felt more professionally focused. So mm-hmm. that's why I joined PNC and I was really involved in not just the program, but like going to events and like meeting people, like like how we met Ray at the <laughs> Lightbox. <laughs> Even though it was like it was like momentarily, but that was really cool. Like that's how you, that's how you meet people, right? Like you just go mm-hmm. to events and and you're open to talking, and usually everyone's really nice, but. Yeah, illustration was where I always wanted to be in. So that's why I chose illustration rather than character animation to, to major in. Because I wanted to have that side still open to work on in the future. Totally. That's awesome. I like that. So one thing, if we haven't said it already, is that we love your art. I love your art. Like one of the things that oh, I kind of want to talk to you about <laughs> is that there's this interesting contrast between your digital and physical art. Majority of like your digital art tends to be like these fun illustrative characters like on a white background. Yeah. But like on the flip side, your physical art tends to be like, you know, plants, skulls, sometimes both, but almost always on a black background. Yeah. Is that like intentional or is that like subconscious? I just it's just something interesting (laughs) that I noticed with with uh you painting I guess painting traditionally versus digitally. It's like Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to ask about that. I, it's so funny. I never thought about that. Like, I never realized that, that I did that. <laughs> but yes, I do. Okay, so yeah, I love painting traditionally with gouache. When I first heard about like gouache, it was in my 2D design class in, at OCC at, at my community college. And mm. it was like such an interesting medium. And then I, I kind of like stopped working with it. And then a few years later, I just picked it up again. And I just started painting like flowers. And I just loved the way the textures fell and like, I had like a really dry brush and I used the paint like with very little water and it, I just loved the way that it looked on paper. I loved the feeling of it. it. It was just so velvety and rich and I just wanted to keep painting with it. So mm-hmm. I don't know where I picked up painting a black background, but it might have been just because with gouache, I feel very free and I feel like I can just lay down paint and just go for it and it feels right. So maybe that's where I get it from of just like, being very, very comfortable with the painting. Mm. Well, I feel like the colors that you also use, like having the black background just makes these bright, saturated blues and reds and stuff really yeah. pop a lot more. So I like, yeah. I love that. It gives me like a, kind of like an alebrije kind of feel sometimes yeah. with some of your stuff. It feels mm. very like, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's, it's just something that I love about it's it. Just, it. Yeah, it's vibrant. It gives it this vibrancy. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I, without realizing it, like my Mexican culture and just like all the illustrators that I love just kind of seep into your work, you know? Mm-hmm. And definitely, I look at a lot of Mexican art to sort of like mimic or just like study the, the way that the shapes are made and that the way that they feel like traditional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, it's so, <laughs> it's not really like super <laughs> like on the top of my mind thinking about what I'm doing, but it just kind of happens. <laughs> No, again, that's really totally. fun. It, that's why I was like asking, is it intentional or subconscious? Because it's like, sometimes we don't notice that we do a certain thing in our art yeah. until somebody points it out to us. Yeah, yeah. 
it definitely subconscious, but now I'm going to think about it every time I paint. <laughs> <laughs> it spirals into a trap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so something that I want to bring back that you kind of brought up earlier is that uh, in the future, you want to be involved in your book, children's books or create children's books. Like, what is it about children's books that you want to get into? So I think most of us grew up with, obviously, with children's books and illustration. But for me, it really stayed with me. I read a lot growing up. And the things that I remember, like, gravitating towards were always, like, witch scenes and, like, anything with animals and flowers, anything Mm -hmm. that looked really pretty to my eye. And... (laughs) And it's, it hasn't changed, like, growing up, like, if I see something, like, an illustrated, like, I go to vintage stores a lot, and I just love looking at old illustrations, like, and when I see old illustrations that just, like, I gravitate towards, I realize, like, oh, this is so beautiful, I want to collect it, and then I realize that I want to make that, I want to, like, actually be making books and stuff that kids also love, that has, like, magic and has, like, characters that they can identify with, Mm. because especially, like, growing up, most of the books about Latinos that I read were like kind of they were not like super happy stories I always remember they were about like the struggle of growing up Latino and mm-hmm. it always reminded me of of the struggle of, of like the traditional side which is obviously it's obviously super important to talk about but I want to in the future hopefully create a book series that it's about a Mexican family or Latino family but not have it revolve around Hardships. the hard parts about them exactly yeah mm-hmm. and just like the magic and of our traditions and our textiles and just like, you know, the visuals of our, of our heritage. Totally. That's awesome. I love that. And then kind of going deeper in that, like, uh, I'm glad that you want to focus like on the more the positive stuff and not really focus on the hardship, which is great because sometimes we need to remind people when it comes to people of color, it's not the stories that we want to tell the stories about us doesn't always have to be about our hardships. Like we are normal people too. Exactly. Especially for like children's book, what kind of messages do you kind of want to teach children? Because that's kind of like what they're for. Sometimes some some books are just meant to be fun. But like, yeah, is there any specific messages that you really want to teach kids through children's books? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I sort of have been feeling and I've like been slowly processing (laughs) is like Mm -hmm. the idea of friendship, of like uh, kindness and friends that come in and out of your life and just making friends. Just that sort of like general because mm-hmm. I think that's something that we, we grew up understanding but we don't grow up learning about like friend breakups and, and that yeah. that side of, of life and I kind of want to have some of those totally. scenes in there too but like with like a happy feeling of like things will be okay like you get to meet a lot of people in your life and it's a whole process again it's a whole process of an endpoint mm-hmm. making friends yeah I totally agree with that I like think about a lot of the media that I read or watched growing up and how it's always like the power of friendship will, you know, win the day or whatever. And it's like, well, sometimes your friends are really toxic or bad to you. Yeah. (laughs) And maybe you need to step away from them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or, you know, it doesn't always have to end with like a resolution. Sometimes you just, you know, sometimes you have to walk away. Sometimes you have to take care of yourself. Exactly. It's like complex parts of relationships that yeah. I, I do wish that there is, yeah. I had known growing up, right? Yeah. Or also in some cases, like again, in media, it's also like, oh, that's Bobby. Like we've been friends since kindergarten. We've been in each other's lives since then. And that's also like not common or realistic as well. Like friends kind of come and go out of your lives. Like, yeah. Where for most of the point, like I always, I kind of felt like, yeah, do I not have anybody that close to my life because I haven't known them since like I was an infant? <laughs> but then I was like, no, but the people that I met in college are like my closest fucking friends are like, 
yeah. deep connection. So it's also like mm-hmm. building this illusion that like close friends have to be somebody that you've known since childhood. It's like yeah. friends come and go. Exactly. Unfortunately, but that's the reality. But yeah. it's but like being okay with that and understanding mm-hmm. like that it's it's about like flowing through life, like understanding like people come in and out and you get to meet people and it's amazing and they leave a sparkle behind and you can hopefully mm-hmm. pass it on with other friends and that that would be like such an amazing thing to to like explore in a book and ideally in a series. I like I love Hillary Knight. He illustrated Eloise. Mm-hmm. I don't Eloise at the Plaza. I don't know if you guys remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I love the way that he illustrates, and that he has like a like a series of books too. It would be amazing to be able to like is, like work on those themes with in, in like a series, you know, like going along totally. with, with mm-hmm. one character and then seeing how they move on in their in their lives and, and meet people. And no, that's great. I love that. I love that, and especially like if you get into the parts where like again, I feel like the toughest part and something that happens you kind of have to like grow with is that. Sometimes you can be super good friends with somebody in elementary school, but when middle school hits and like people develop faster than others, sometimes you yeah. enter in different friend groups and that's that, but that's life and yeah. like, it's something that you got to learn to deal with or grow with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're hard. I think that's a really good topic, you know, yeah. not not talking down to children about those sorts of things. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. A more like, you know, that's, I feel like it's a very universal thing. Mm-hmm. Most people I think like have gone through that. Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah. Going back to like you wanting to tell stories about like Latinos or Hispanics in a positive light. Mm-hmm. So for you, how does like your cultural background as a Mexican-American influence your art and your identity as an artist? For a long time, I wasn't like super aware of how it was impacting like the work that I did and stuff. It definitely mm-hmm. impacted my life in the sense of like deciding to go into art. Initially, I didn't want to go into art I thought I was like worried that it was not going to be the right path for me you know like coming from Mm. a very traditional background like I know in a lot of other traditions it's very similar Mm -hmm. I didn't want to go into art right away but I decided to do it and I'm so happy that I did and now like I had mentioned before the way that it impacts my art is in the characters that I draw I look a lot at my family if for inspiration Mm -hmm. Like the way that they act, the way that they dress, just kind of like how funny a lot of like my extended family is. <laughs> <laughs> and then in my my gouache paintings too, like I hadn't mentioned before, I touched on it. In uh, my gouache paintings, the way that the colors and like the traditional shapes of like Mexican textiles, like the way those mm-hmm. translate, I want to and I try to implement into the paintings that I do. But in like a mix, like because I'm Mexican American, I'm my family immigrated here. My parents immigrated here, but I was born mm-hmm. here, so I still mm-hmm. I'm a Mexican American. So I still look at a lot of American art, like so many people look at Mary Blair and a lot of illustrators, traditional illustrators. So I'll, right. I mix those two things together. I feel hopefully it's make something like very unique and very different. Um, <laughs> but that's why mm-hmm. I include so many skulls and flowers together and. Um, also some characters, uh, which I haven't, I don't share a lot of because it's something that I'm still kind of like working on, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but definitely with my gouache paintings, I feel that's where like my heritage really comes in. It's really great. And I, I love that. I love that. And it's actually kind of interesting to me that you mentioned that depending on like on the background, like your parents and stuff, like art was something that you didn't know if you wanted to get into right away or you were apprehensive. Yeah. That's totally different kind of what I felt 
for me, it was more of like, I didn't think it was even an option because yeah. I didn't know anybody <laughs> that looked like me that was working in art or working in animation. So for me, it just didn't, I just didn't see it yeah. as a pathway. Like to me, the option didn't exist. It's yeah. not that I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to pursue art yet. It's just more of like, I don't know if I can. Yeah. When did you decide to, to go into art? It wasn't till like my senior year of high school is when I changed everything and decided to apply it to like Fullerton, San Jose State, Northridge, Long Beach, all to their animation program. And like, oh, wow. and like my teacher, like my Abbey teacher, Abbey is not the editing program. Abbey is like this college, this high school class where it kind of prepares you to apply for college and stuff. Oh, yeah. Avid. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Avid. <laughs> My Abby teacher, for a lot of people, like, she recommended because our safety school was like San Bernardino. Cal State San Bernardino was our safety school. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck oh. that. I'm not applying to... <laughs> they didn't have an animation program. They didn't have an animation But I was like, yeah, like no, yeah. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to go all in on this. Like, I'm not going to apply to a safety school. I need to put all my eggs in, in this one basket. Yeah. And I was happy that she kind of let me do it because for some students, she like really recommended like, no, you have to apply to the safety school because not that she didn't have confidence, but based on the grades and stuff to like, if you're going to go to college, this is your safest choice. Yeah. So she let me take a risk by not applying to the safety school. But yeah, it just, I literally was like, what's stopping me from pursuing this? And so, yeah, yeah last second, last, last second, I was going to, otherwise I think I was going to be an accountant or something oh, or going to accounting. Yeah. Do you think that you'd be able to do that job now? Accounting? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I think you could do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, oh man, I'm not... I'm good with numbers. I'm not the fastest numbers, but like, it's because I've been out of practice, but I was really good at math at one point and I felt like it's a safe job. I could do it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I like, I don't want to do it. I don't... God, no, I don't want to do it. But if I had to, I think I could. (laughs) I think you could. It definitely is a safe job. And that's, I think, a lot of people have that choice, right? Of like, what do you mm. want to do? Do you want to go there? Do you want to do your the risk thing? Or like, you have options, obviously, and you never know if it's going to work out. But I'm so glad that you decided to go for it. Because I think a lot of people like don't try and they never mm. know whether it was, it, you know, it could happen for them if they really wanted to do like an artistic career or yeah. So it's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to bring it back to you. What was the turning point for you? Um, well, for me, I did the thing where I was scared. <laughs> and then I didn't <laughs> I didn't want to go into art because I thought like, oh, it, it's not going to work out. Like, what am I going to do? I don't think... And I didn't really know about animation like out of high school, actually. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until a community college that I like saw... I think it was like the art of like Madagascar or something. Um, (laughs) yeah and I think it was like the art of Madagascar and it's like oh my god this is so cool that's amazing and Mm -hmm. then I started in my in that same 2d design class I was talking about gouache we had to make a a zine or a zine Mm -hmm. zine. Um, I think a zine like a magazine yes magazine zine of uh, any (laughs) sort of any sort of subject we wanted and so I made a a zine about uh, animation like the art of animation and that's where I just completely fell in love with that site. Like I didn't, I had no idea that this even existed. So I remember I had like pieces from like El Dorado in there, mm. from Hotel Transylvania. I know I still have it somewhere. I should totally take it out and look at it again. But yeah, flip through it. <laughs> yeah. So that was, yeah, that was a community college. And so still though, around that time, I still felt like I was going to go into like a medical sort of field. So oh, wow. I actually spent, yeah, I still spent like 
two years kind of like prepping for that, like taking science classes and doing uh-huh. that side. Um, and then I got, I realized like, I'm, I don't remember how, but I just realized like, I just really want to do animation and I'm going to go for it. So I took my classes there and then eventually transferred to Cal State Fullerton and I met some people and that's how they introduced me to PNC. And yeah, that's how I ended up going into animation, but it was, it was not like a straight line for me. Uh, it was definitely like discovering like what it was that I wanted to do, like making a choice for myself, you know, instead of like listening to others. Yeah. And, and just going for it. And maybe a little bit, I regret like not just going for it right away, but at the same time, I learned so much at that from those like years of like trying to figure stuff out. Mm -hmm. So it all worked out. It's all good. I was just going to say, I totally had that same experience. Oh. Uh, I went to community college, Yeah, and, uh, you know, figured some stuff out and then eventually transferred to a university. Yeah. So I'm a big advocate for community college mm-hmm. because yeah. it's what, it's $49. I don't know how much it is like per state or whatever, but in California, yeah. it was like $49 per unit per semester. Yeah. It's like not, it's like peanuts compared to any <laughs> other school and you get yes. the same education pretty much. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So many of those like fundamentals and just the general design track like you can really learn and like hone your skills at a community college without the pressure of like finishing in four years or like whatever amount of time you know at a a exactly college yeah yeah no that's great and again like both of you the the thing that i hope our audience takes away from this is that it's not always an a to b entering animation sometimes people take many different journeys but that doesn't mean you're not gonna get in or you're not gonna enter sometimes people need that kind of self-discovery Exactly. And for some of us, <clears throat> me, um, it was very important <laughs> to do that. <laughs> to learn about like what I wanted and how to like advocate for myself and really make decisions for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then one last thing I also kind of want to mention is that it's interesting that it's that animation zine that kind of was a turning point for you because it was actually kind of similar for me as well. Like I mentioned, like oh. it wasn't until like my senior year of high school where I, I switched. But the reason yeah. for that is because the same same class, Avid, is our Avid teacher had us write a one page paper of like, if you can have any job, what would that job be? Ooh. And I was like, oh, I thought working animation would be cool. So let me write the paper on that. And it wasn't until like I was researching and finding out that like I can go to school for it. Or I was like, oh, mm-hmm. shit, this is a real job I can actually do. But yeah, the more I started researching, the more I realized like this is actually a possibility. Like I can learn it. I can go to school for it. Why did I go so long thinking that this wasn't for me? And so I'm yeah. going, if, if it wasn't for that one page paper, I'd be in accounting. That's amazing. Or editing in film. Because I would have also maybe, I probably would have done film school as well. Maybe I would have been an editor <laughs> behind the screen. But like it was between, if I wasn't doing anything creative, it'd probably be accounting. That's amazing. Our teachers deserve more credit. We don't even realize like what they do to change our lives. Mm-hmm. No, it's <laughs> insane. Thank you so much for joining us today. Where can our audience find you? And is there anything else you want to plug before we get into the last question here? You can find me on Instagram. And my handle is Pueblo de Janet. And also <laughs> on Twitter. It's um, the same handle for Twitter. I think that's, that's, I think that's all the medias I have. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, awesome. So as we kind of come to a close, is there any final advice you would want to bestow on those that want to pursue a career in animation? Yes. So for anyone out there who's considering and, and thinking about going into animation, I would say to not be scared. Once you decide to go into animation, to just go right ahead and go for it and meet people, talk to people, get to know the different roles that are in animation and like how the community is because it's a really fantastic place to be 
honestly. And it's a very exciting place to be, which I think is why so many people want to be in animation. So just general advice, don't be scared and go for it. And really just try your best and don't don't be lazy. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of courage, huh? Yeah. (laughs) If you enjoyed our interview with Janet today, please rate us and follow us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StraightAheadAP. Big thanks to Ulises Avarado Yamas for suggesting Janet as a guest. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. We love discovering new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. Special thanks to our editor, Ashley Itliong, for this episode. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening. And thank you once again to our guest who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye. Bye.